we must always monitor the, the field samples, field strands to understand the relationship with the, the, the vaccine samples. Hello, I'm Peter Best. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Meet the Expert, the series of podcasts on swine health management in practice brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim. For this episode of Meet the Expert, we continue our conversation about the porcine parvovirus, or PPV, with Professor André Felipe Streck in Brazil. Professor Streck has a PhD in veterinary sciences and is now based in southern Brazil as associate professor in the Institute of Biotechnology at the University of Caxias do Sul. Professor Streck, hello. Hello. Thanks for uh, giving us your expertise on PPV. Uh, In the first part of our conversation, a previous podcast, you described how new variants of the porcine parvovirus have emerged over the past 20 years. Uh, Certainly from a European perspective, we've detected an apparent change in predominance in the last 10 to 15 years with a strain or strains called 27A emerging in several countries. Is 27A European or does it occur more internationally than that? Perfect. Firstly, I observe that the new strains are not longer equal to 27A. We can see some important amino acids uh, substitutions or mutations in the surface, in the virus capsid as the 27A, but also the new strains have another new amino acids. So, in in my point of view, uh, it's correct to say uh, samples like uh, as a 27A-like sample uh, strains. Uh, And these 27A-like strains, yes, uh, they occur in other countries. uh, And I highlight that they occur mostly in Europe and in the American continent. Uh, maybe in another continents, but we don't have so many information for some, some continents. Um, <clears throat> yes, I, I'd seen some early reports of uh, variants emerging in Myanmar and China and so on in Asia, but they have been isolated reports by comparison with those in Europe and Americas, haven't they? Yes, uh, mostly we can see that the, the most of these strains are located in Europe and for another countries like China and another uh, Asiatic countries, we observe another, uh, another predominance of strains. We observe uh, a more, uh, a greater diversity of, of, of strains in there. And also here in Europe, uh, we observe a, a greater diversity of, of strains, or in other words, a, a greater genetic diversity in wild boar populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in sows, in, in the swine industry, we observe the predominance of the 27A-like strains. Oh, right. Uh- but uh, could you explain to me how or do these geographically distinct strains 
relate to each other? How, how alike are they? How dissimilar are they? These this strains are closely related um, in some in few amino acids in the in this surface. Uh, most of these strains have important amino acids in, in a region called loops, and this region is very important to us because uh, this this region. Uh, is is close in contact with the immune system of the host, and and this this is particularly important of this of these strains. Uh, and would you say that uh, the information we have over the last ten years that these new strains occurring more commonly in these countries, more and more commonly, uh, increasing extent? Well. Um, Unfortunately, unfortunately, in the in the last uh, five years, we have few information. In the last twenty years, we can observe that the, the strains are very common in the in European continent, in the American continent, and become the, the predominant strains in this in this continent. But I need to to highlight that uh, we need more information we need more research to to, to know uh, what's the, the actual situation uh, in the field no, I'm with you but uh, may I ask uh, I'm sure that the information is in short supply but uh, has this emergence of new variants coincided with an increase in submissions to diagnostic laboratories which were suggestive of vaccination failure because porcine parvovirus positive samples were found. Has it, do you think there's been an increase in laboratory submissions? Yes, in my in my view here in in Brazilian, we can observe that um, we have a, a, a higher incidence in positive uh, case of, of porcine parvovirus and also we observe uh, a higher incidence of mummification here in our herds that's that's quite concerning for us in, in brazil and also talking with uh, colleagues from another countries we can observe this phenomenon in another countries as well uh, usually we observe PPV in like 30 or 40 percent of our fetus and that that's a very huge number of incidents if we remember that in some some cases diagnosis can came came with a, a, a false uh, negative results be, because of the the autolysis so in, in my opinion, that's that's a very, very high incidence of porcine parvovirus in our in our yes, yes. So the, the some samples were too uh, too autolyzed, uh, too uh, long in, uh, before reaching the laboratory so that the, the testing couldn't have been uh, able to detect a virus. Yes, yes. Um, 
the, the, the problem to, to perform the, the, the test of mummified fetus is that uh, someone needs to collect these fetus, someone needs to, to, to bring these fetus immediately to, to, to a freezer to, to, to cool these fetus and then uh, need to send to the lab. And sometimes this process can take some, some days, some several weeks uh, to, uh, to perform that. And it's quite usual to, to receive a, a fetus in the lab without the, the ideal condition. And, and that's, that's very, uh, very negative uh, for a laboratory test. Yeah, so I'm with you. Uh, from what you say, we need to be aware then of of variants when we do our monitoring. Uh, uh, should we be doing more sequencing to discover exactly which virus of PPV we're dealing with, not least when vaccinating appears to to fail? Yes, it's important to always perform the, the monitoring of new mutations. Uh, I remember that I highlight that mutations are random and we never know when one mutation can generate uh, escape from a vaccine. We also identify virus uh, with different differences in according to ge geographic location. So it's important that all countries or all facilities can make a good surveillance of these mutations. Well, an example of this, uh, we can now see the SARS-CoV-2 and the effect that a few years with not an effective monitor can cause for, for, for a virus. That, that can be very drastic for a virus. Mm. Let me just uh, say thank you to our listeners for joining us for this podcast where we're talking in Brazil to Professor André Felipe Streck about the porcine parvovirus or PPV. As always, thanks for joining us and we welcome your feedback. Uh, Professor Streck, uh, let's talk about vaccinology in this case then. Uh, could our use of established vaccines have played a role in influencing the evolution of the parvovirus by uh, affecting the ability of variants to dominate or compete, for example? Mm. Yes. Uh, the, the prediction that the main uh, divergence between new strains, new isolates, uh, were introduced in the last uh, 30 years. We, we perform this prediction and that leads us to the hypothesis that the emergence of new capsid profiles could be due to a viral adaptation of these, these vaccines and therefore uh, it was called, it, these strains were called uh, some scape uh, mutants or escape strains in our population. Uh, however, uh, we performed some, some phylogenetic studies like population dynamics and we could see that uh, we could see that we have a, a, a predominance of some 
strains and we can see, we could see that these strains have an increase in the viral fitness as well this indicate that the vaccine play a, a very important role yes but as as well uh, a very adapted strain uh, that could manage to manage to stand out from others due to a, a, a greater replicative capacity uh, is, is was a important part of this process in other words uh, this genetic variability uh, usually came when the, the virus have a, a have more freedom to 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 happen and when we have a, a vaccine usually we don't have all this freedom we have uh, serious selective pressure and in the selective pressure we perform uh, the predominance of some strains this this way vaccine is important for a predominance of strains when we have a population with a little bit more freedom then we have a lot of genetic diversity so the vaccine play a role but also uh, we have one strain with a better fitness uh, that that's important to say is it's not all uh, we don't need to blame the, the vaccine for this for this uh, for this new mutants or new strains. In fact, vaccination would even re reduce some genetic diversity, perhaps by further effects. Yes, uh, we can see in some studies that with vaccination we have this this predominance of strains. For this reason, it's very important to 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 see to to monitor the, this wild populations which don't have vaccines don't have these hygienic handles that we have in the swine industry and usually this these populations have a, a higher genetic diversity uh, for porcine parvovirus oh. and also for another virus as well yeah. Yes, you mentioned wild boar, and I'd like to come back to that very much because other podcasts in the Meet the Expert series have discussed the role of wild boar in relation to the spread of African swine fever. Uh, are new variants of porcine parvovirus also being found in wild boar? And do I understand that the presence of them as non-vaccinated animals could have had an impact on the emergence of these two strains? Yes, we can observe the uh, higher genetic diversity in, in wild borns. Uh, it's important to remember the, the studies of Professor Daniel Kadar from, from Romania. With, uh, their group performed a lot of, of, of studies in this topic. And they can, they can see that in these wild barns, they have a lot, uh, a greater genetic diversity without a predominant of these or these uh, strains. However, um, usually uh, it's quite difficult to, uh, 
to, 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 to make the transmission of the uh, strain from a wild barn to, uh, to, the, to the pig industry. And this way, I, I believe that Hubbards will be important to, to, to have a uh, new genetic diversity. But what we see in the, in the swine industry is another scenario with the predominant strains and in my opinion in this moment both both scenarios do not dialogue with uh, each other i see so they they are separate they they have diverged but they are within each population but they're separate should be yeah, you hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, I mean, control in the wild boar population, as we've discussed in those other podcasts, is is a, a not an easy thing to contemplate. Uh, so, thank you for that. Uh, all the evidence tells us that porcine parvovirus occurs in in at least two thirds of sow herds in just about every country where pigs are produced. We can't really think about stamping it out, therefore. We must live with it. In practice, what pieces are the jigsaw needed to protect a sow herd against PPV? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first, uh, the vaccination must be continuous. At least here in Brazil, uh, the swine producers only vaccinate when the, the farmers only vaccinate when the, they have cases of mummifications and after a while uh, they stop the vaccination again and obviously obviously this this cause a, a great circulation of the virus in in our hearts and obviously cause uh, major reproductive failures in our hearts uh, second i believe that the industry the vaccine industry um should always seek for a, a continuous development of the vaccine technology i mean strains and technology of the adjuvant and and the composition of the, the strain the, the vaccine as well third uh, we must always monitor the, the field samples field strains to understand the relationship with the, the, the vaccine samples and also the relationship with pathogenicity. We didn't always to, to perform these studies and with this we'll be one step ahead of, of new infections and for uh, I believe that new technologies for the diagnostic of like point of care diagnostic will help a lot uh, to, to do a better diagnostic. Which are coming along, yes. Uh, just on a practical point, if I may, repeat vaccination of all breeding animals at a site is often advised. Uh, should we be making sure particularly that gilts are vaccinated twice before their first insemination? Well, uh, normally, uh, in unvaccinated herds, all females uh, should, should be vaccinated twice, usually at 8 to 10 weeks uh, 
prior to, to mating. And after that, four, uh, four weeks after that again. Um, and we make this with uh, a booster dose, uh, usually every six months. This means that the first dose of the vaccine will occur about the, the six months of age of this of this guild. And however, the, 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 in my opinion, the, the problem is that uh, maternal antibody do not last uh, as long. Usually, will last like two to three months, and this make a, a windows of opportunity for the virus. Uh, we, we can say that the virus have a two months, entire two months week of opportunity, windows of opportunity to, to make an infection in the cell and to, um, uh, to, to establish an infection and to go to, to other animals, to, to the habitat of this animal. Uh, Therefore, I believe that it's important to study to also study its vaccination protocol, and then we can obtain a, a, a then we can reduce the, the virus circulation in the head as well. Yes, because what in fact this moment does vaccination achieve? We know it can control or eliminate clinical signs, but can it go do anything about shedding a virus and those sort of things? No, the the the, the idea, original idea of the vaccination was only to control uh, reproductive failure. Usually, most of the vaccines, at least in the in the studies. They do not uh, prevent against uh, virus shedding and, and virus infection in the in the cell, unfortunately. And that's that's also a problem because, in my opinion, the 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 idea uh, the, the the perfect situation will be uh, the, the prevention of the infection, the prevention of the shedding of the virus, and also the, the, the reduction of the, the, the virus challenge in the, in the animal habitat. Hmm. But uh, that is an ideal situation, but uh, yeah. we, we're not there yet, I understand that, yes. Uh, is it possible with these new mutations of parvovirus that there could be a reduction in the neutralizing capacity of antibodies generated by a commercial vaccine? Yes, uh, we have already been able to identify that this, the antibodies generated by some old vaccine strains have their neutralization capability uh, reduced by the, the new strains mainly strains as the 27A strain. And this, well, this studies were mostly generated by, by Professor Uli Truyen in the 2000s. And with the, for this reason, this was generated the hypothesis of this, this mutates, uh, this escape mutants. 
I was surprised that you you mentioned uh, Professor Turin's uh, work at Leipzig. Uh, you know, there was a considerable reduction in antibodies in one of the studies I was reading. It was a, a uh, was it tenfold reduction or hundredfold? I forget what it was, but it was an extreme difference between 27A and other viruses tested. Yes, I, I don't remember the, the numbers, but we could observe that, yes, that was a, a great reduction, but I need to say that uh, we could observe a, 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 a greater individual variation as well in the sounds and in other another animal models. We can observe a reduction with, in sounds and in rabbits and not so not only in the 27a strains but also with uh, mutant strains with on, only few amino acids substitutions and then we can observe a, a, a reduction in this capability as well hmm. So just, uh, we're coming to the end of this podcast, I regret, but uh, just to, to sum up, obviously you advise also has to continue their vaccination schedules, uh, to be careful when, uh, on the number and uh, uh, which animals and so on. Uh, but you would say then your view is uh, new vaccine developments are welcome to take account of the emergence of different dominant virus strains in pig populations and uh, the, the response that they might have to the traditional vaccines? Well, it's always, um, I've always believed that uh, the, the improvement of the vaccine technology will must be constant. Uh, we have to keep in mind that the, this virus have a high mutation rate and will never stop uh, to undergoing changes. And for this reason, I highlight this this important of the, the continuous uh, this continuous process of the improvement. I also highlight the importance of the monitoring of this change in in countries with a large swine production systems, and also to understand that this process is geographic related and therefore the vaccines companies should uh, must be uh, aware of this information and also the, the customers must be aware of this, this information. Yes. Professor Streck, thank you very much for your help and your advice and your expertise and uh, on the porcine parvovirus. I regret we must draw it to a close there. Thank you to our listeners, as always. It's very good of you to join us. And uh, we will have more podcasts for you in the Meet the Expert series from Beringer Ingelheim. But for the moment, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>